This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by James Forsyth and Fraser Nelson. This afternoon, Prime Minister is expected to answer an urgent question on the changes announced this morning by her new chance of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt. But instead, Penny Morden was sent along to fill in for the Prime Minister. James, talk us through that statement. It, well, it was quite remarkable. So, Keir Starman put down an urgent question, the Speaker accepted it. Now, I think that the safest place for a minister to be in a crisis is the dispatch box for House of Commons. You there at least have some modicum of control over the situation. It can be your own words that shape things. Liz Truss decided not to go. Penny Morden turned up instead. And all the way through, Penny Morden kept saying that there was a genuine reason that the Prime Minister couldn't be there. And memorably, at one point, she said the Prime Minister is not hiding under a desk. And by then, you were thinking of, you know, I was left with the impression that maybe there was some security crisis or some thing that was having to be dealt with so urgently she couldn't be there. We're now receiving uh, briefings that she was just meeting Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922 committee, in what was apparently a pre-planned meeting. It seems a very, very odd choice. We've then had a very bizarre situation where Jeremy Hunt stood up and essentially repeated the statement he had given to camera at 11am to the House of Commons, essentially kind of junking the vast majority of the mini-budget, as Liz Truss, who had so vocally cheered on the mini-budget from a, from a sedentary position, as Quasi Kwarteng was delivering it, sat there on the front bench. Even by the recent standards of British politics, it was a remarkable day. I think we also maybe saw a hint from Jeremy Hunt about something there, which could be quite important in the coming days, which is Jeremy Hunt, in his very diplomatic style, chose to pay tribute to something that each one of his successors had done. And he said about referring to George Osborne, but not my name, you know, the decision to protect the health budget while other budgets were falling. Now, I took that as reading, but Jeremy Hunt intends to do the same thing. Obviously, if health is going to be protected from these coming cuts, they are going to fall as they did in the 2010s, more deeply on other departments. And so that then leads us to the question of what happens to defence. Another special case. You know, is that going to be protected or not? Fraser, talk us through that defence spending row because there were some reports of the weekend that Defence Secretary Ben Wallace might be on manoeuvres himself for the leadership. And this is in the context of Liz Truss previously pledging to put defence spending at 3% GDP by the end of the decade. But now, given the U-turn on the mini-budget, that might not be the case. Well, I think there's rather credible reports that the Defence Secretary was thinking of quitting. If it looked as if the pledge made to him by Liz Truss that um, defence spending would rise to 3% of GDP was broken. He's in quite a strong position right now. I mean, let's face it, there is a war on at the moment. One of the few things the Conservatives can claim to have got right in the last few months is their backing of Ukraine early on. And in that context, with the geopolitical station so fraught, Ben Wallace would be richly entitled to say that this party has given up on the defence spending increases it promised, it has given up on conservatism. There isn't very much left. Now, I think that threat was credible enough to persuade Liz Truss and Jeremy Hunt to back down, at least for now. We haven't heard his spending plan yet, but it seems as if he is... We're not, we're not hearing similar noises from him now, so it seems as if it's been intimated to him that that pledge will be kept. But there's not very much remaining of what was, in my view, wrongly called Trussonomics. And it would be funny if a defence spending pledge was the only vestige. 
in terms of what this afternoon we learned, James, you learned that point about Jeremy Hunt saying that, you know, there might be more cuts, some departments might be protected. But I just wondered if there was anything else we gleaned from that statement and how he turns to approach the role. Well, I, I think the very different approach to the party and its record, first of all. So while as Kwasi Kwarteng talked about a cycle of stagnation since 2008, and remember the Tories have obviously been in power for 12 of those 14 years, Jeremy Hunt boasted about the Tory economic record since 2010. And, you know, in another sign of, 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 of deference to times past, he's announced that, you know, the lead figure on his new Council of Economic Advisers is going to be Rupert Harrison, who was, who was George Osborne's chief of staff at the, at the Treasury. Now, remember this, when this Council of Economic Advisers was initially floated as an idea during the Trust Leadership Campaign, the expectation was it was going to have people like Gerald Lyons, Julian Jessup, Patrick Minford on it. It now has four people with very different views, much more of the fiscally conservative end of a spectrum on it, much more not advocates of the kind of trustonomics approach. And so I think we saw that. I think we also saw a hint from Jeremy Hunt that he's prepared to look at a a windfall tax, a further windfall tax. And I think what we really saw here is, however polite he is about it, Jeremy Hunt sometimes slips into the first person. And it is quite clear that he is making these decisions himself, quite confident that he will be able to carry them out. And and even though Jeremy Hunt is too polite to ever say this himself, the reason he can be this confident is fear of how the markets will react is now driving UK government policy. That is why at 6am this morning, the Treasury were telling the BBC that there was a statement coming a bit later. We got an email from the Treasury saying that, that, you know, they're basically, in not so many words, there are more U-turns coming later today. It was going to plead to the markets to to give them time and let them make this statement, which, which did succeed. The markets have reacted fairly well today to what to what has been said. But I think that when you are in this situation where fear of the markets is driving government policy, in a way that we haven't seen in Britain for a very long time, you are now in a situation where Jeremy Hunt is unsackable. Because if Jeremy Hunt ever said to the Prime Minister, well, Prime Minister, you're the boss, I respect that, but I'm going to resign, you can imagine what would happen to UK guilt yields. So therefore, I, I think Jeremy Hunt can be confident that he has essentially a fairly free hand here on fiscal policy. I do get a little bit nervous about this, though, because we're imagining what the markets might react. And we've gone from a situation where Liz Truss was basically saying to the markets, well, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. That was her approach, right? Do your worst. And they did. And now we're in a position where we were getting quite specific about what we think the markets want. Now, in my view, Liz Truss had come out with a, if stuck to original plan, had a coherent plan to borrow 30 billion for tax cuts. That could have been presented in the markets in a way that would have worked. The way that she did it, cancelling the OBR by not talking about spending and by adding on top of that this £10 million a month energy bill subsidy was too much for the markets to handle. But I think we're going from one extreme, we may be going from one extreme to the other here and thinking, OK, the markets want us to increase tax, the markets want us to do this, the markets want us to do that. So you've almost gone into this this, this strange feeling as if the markets are some kind of Roman-style gods and we're going to need an augur to translate what the gods want and what the gods don't want. Everybody's guessing here, remember. What you will get now is a whole bunch of people only very willing to tell the Conservatives that the markets want whatever they themselves happen to want as well. And the markets, of course, don't speak, right? The guilt yields and go up and go down, of course. But it's not as if you're going to get a, a sort of trade union rep from the markets saying that, OK, we want you to 
keep your deficit to this percent or, or that percent. And one of the things that George Osborne got badly wrong when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer was imagining that the markets would very heavily punish anybody who didn't balance their, their budget. That simply didn't happen. Even when Britain lost its AAA credit rating, the markets didn't really punish Britain at all. So people have misread the markets consistently. Almost every single year from 2008 onwards, people have misread the markets. So now are we suddenly, magically, in a position to guess the mind of the markets, whatever that might be, and we're supposed to govern a country best by our understanding of what the markets want to a surprisingly micro level? I'm sceptical about this, but although I'm, I suspect I better get used to it, because I suspect we're going to be hearing the markets invoked as our new leaders, basically, for some time to come. I think what this is, is a reminder that once you've lost market confidence, as I, I think, would, would you agree that the UK government lost market confidence, which is why the Bank of England had to intervene in the way that it did? I wouldn't use that language because I think it's a matter of degree with markets. I mean, there is a sliding scale. The more the more confidence they got in you, the lower the gilt ears, the less the higher. I don't think it's as binary as having gaining it or winning it. I, I think right, right now there is a sort of a Muppet premium, shall we say, being paid in our guilt. So how much are we extra paying because of conservative Muppetry? That is significant, but that Muppet premium can go up if we become even more Muppets, by the way, which is possible. I mean, let's remember that the analyst was saying that Jeremy Hunt's just made the recession worse by his decision to increase corporation tax in the recession. I mean, that might be seen as quite a Muppety thing to do. But there is a Muppet premium we pay, and that we can hope to reduce that. But I suspect we're going to be paying that premium for some time to come. But I wouldn't say we've lost it in binary terms. So I, I think that having got into a situation where you have less, considerably less market confidence in you than before, which I think is probably a, a fair compromise between our two positions, you then have to go even further to regain it. I think the point in a way, and I think you saw this with the abandonment this morning, of, the, of total abandonment of the 1p cut in the basic rate of income tax that was originally scheduled for 2024, which the mini-budget brought forward to 2023, which is now gone for good, is having had this moment where the markets have begun to look much more sceptically at you, you can't just return to the status quo ante. And that, I think, is what we are seeing, is that you have to go further to reassure them than you would have done before. And I think that that is, that is a big challenge to the UK. One, and one of the things that makes the context for this Halloween fiscal statement on the 31st of October so difficult, because plans that, if the last 40 days had not happened, might have passed the markets by without you know, without a, without a, without without the market so much as shrugging, might now elicit a far more dramatic reaction. You've talked about markets, and you also mentioned how unsackable Ben Wallace and Jeremy Hunt now are. In terms of the cabinet's thinking, clearly Liz Truss is in quite a weak position now. VV are in cabinet members. What are the cabinet likely to do over the next kind of 48, 72 hours? There's been some suggestions we might see some resignations. Do either of you think we're going to see any kind of manoeuvring on that front, anything like that? It all depends on what you'd achieve with the resignation. I mean, right now, of course, everybody is completely furious about this. How could you not be? How could you point to one member of a Conservative Party who thinks that this is a good situation? But then again, those who quit Boris Johnson's government wouldn't really want to quit this Truss's government. It comes a bit, of, a bit too much of a pattern. You get the likes of Swella Braveman, for example, the Home Secretary. Now, she didn't quit, did she, James? She basically stayed on as Attorney General, despite she, saying she that Boris Johnson... She went on programme and said that she was running for leader and she thought she should resign, <laughs> but she intended to stay in her job as Attorney General because she had important no. work to do. I, if I were to have a guess, I would say she's probably at 
the most angry end of this. She was the one who used the word coup, remember, at the Tory party conference to describe Liz Truss having to drop her 45p tax. I wonder what word she's using now to describe the destruction of the rest of the agenda. So it doesn't take much imagination to imagine her state of mind. And we've spoken about Ben Wallace earlier, there'll be other cabinet members who will be looking at the next cabinet meeting and thinking, hang on, how come we're all taking orders from Jeremy Hunt? But the question for these guys is not, do they think this is sustainable? Of course they don't. The question is, if, you, if they're going to resign, what would they do it over? Because you've got a certain amount of currency which you're going to spend. It's like how, you, as a Tory MP, you shouldn't send your letters to the 1922 committee unless you're sure you can win a leadership election. So I imagine there'll be lots of discussions today, lots of discussions, saying, look, what is salvageable, what isn't? Do we want Rishi Sunak? By the way, this is a lot of, there's a lot of concern right now. You're seeing anonymous quotes saying that regarding this thing as a part of some Sunakite plot. Now, I'm, I'm not for a second suggesting it is, but suffice to say there, there is a faction here which thinks, okay, whatever happens, we must not succumb to this. But what do they do? Do they find somebody else? Then you've got the left of the party. They should be reasonably happy with Jeremy Hunt, I think, the Damien Greens and all the rest of it. They would be, when you look at this, they'd probably prefer a Jeremy Hunt ascendancy to a Rishi Sunak ascendancy. So there'll be a faction that prefers Hunt to Sunak and has actually got Hunt rather than, than Sunak. So, so you'd probably stay there. So I can't quite work out what the right of the party, if you want to call it that, would actually do. And not the other thing is they all are like it or not, having to stand for re-election, well, a lot of them are, of the next election. If you put in somebody now and they don't last and we get somebody else by Valentine's Day, that is an entirely credible state of events which could harm the party's reputation even further. So you're right, we are hearing levels of discontent that are consistent with resignation, but these guys really do need to work out now that they're, things are pretty bad, but they're not so bad they couldn't get a lot worse. And that's what I think we might be unpleasantly surprised by, just how much worse things can actually get. Thank you very much, Fraser. Thank you, James, and thank you for listening too. It's time to play the music. It's time to light the light. It's time to meet the Muppets on the Muppet Show tonight. It's time to put on makeup. It's time to dress up right. It's time to get things started. Well, wait, the old opening better. It's time to get things started on the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, motivational. This is...